0: You would r- remain standing and open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. As we continue our study of the book of Daniel, we'll read verse 1 down through verse 23. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. In the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream." Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods. Whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the dec- the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they saw Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. And Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions. And told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night then Daniel blessed the God of heaven Daniel answered and said blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might he changes times and seasons He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. You have now made known to me what we asked of you and you have made known to us the kings matter. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank You for this, Your Word. Lord, as we study Daniel, would we be encouraged as Your people to live life faithfully before You in exile. May we learn deep lessons this morning about both our own insecurities and Your Gospel. Shape us in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 603 B.C. Halley's Comet had just come around. Ezekiel was just a bit behind Daniel. And things aren't going well for the people of God. Israel, the northern kingdom of the two divided kingdoms, Israel had already been sent into exile and would never fully return. They would come back as some mixture of Assyrian And Judah has had a series of bad kings, and they were forcefully being removed out of their land. This is where these four teenage boys have ended up, some thousand miles east of their homes on the eastern edge of modern-day Iraq. South of the Syrian Empire, west of the Medes and Persians, who would soon rise and beat the Babylonians psalm one thirty seven describes this carnage, and just think about i 'm going to try to encourage this, especially in the first seven chapters, to, to think about what must it be like to be carried away from your home as a slave by the waters of Babylon psalm 137 says there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion on the willows there we hung up our lyres our instruments for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying sing us one of the songs of Zion and then it closes like this how shall we sing a song of Zion in a foreign land how do we sing God's song in exile? Is their question. This is what Daniel is designed, I think, to teach. And we, Grace Presbyterian Church, we might very well ask the same things depending on the day. As David prayed, if we recognize that we are in exile, a great question would be how do we sing the Lord's song in exile? Now, if we're fully comfortable and we we have this is our home, there's no problem. A realization that you, in fact, are not yet home, there is a not yet for you, Christian, how do you sing the Lord's song here? So here are the teenage boys. They're learning new languages, new customs, new literature, astronomy, dreams. They're being educated in all the areas of court for Nebuchadnezzar. And all of these realities are designed very shrewdly to completely conquer God's people. If you want to take them out, don't just conquer them, assimilate them. Make them like us is the plan. Make them like us and then we'll ultimately win. Before we move on into our study of chapter 2, I want to point something out. From chapter 2, verse 4 through 7, 28, it's it's a different language. It's Aramaic. It's not Hebrew. And Aramaic would have been the, the dominant language of the Babylonian Empire. In other words... Babylon goes around, it's the the bully on the street at the time, goes around conquering all these different people, and they all have different languages. But what's the common language that across the nations they can know and speak and do commerce? It's Aramaic. Why bring this up? Because Daniel 2 through 7 deals with God's purposes as they work themselves out in the world among the Gentile kings. In chapters 8 through 12, there's a return to Hebrew and there we find a special concern for the people of God. In these early chapters, we're going to see that much of the dealings have to do with the kings and the various rise and fall of empires. There's another observation that we can make here. Here. That powers come and go and God rules over them all. There was a time this is shocking what I'm gonna to say to you. Just hear me out. There was a time when English wasn't this dominant language in the world. I know that's that's a shock. There was a time when the dollar wasn't this massive standard. I know, just keep your seat. Don't throw stones. God rules. He reigns. Empires rise and empires fall and God is still in control. God's kingdom doesn't just come in a mystical way. It comes with language attached to it. God's kingdom comes using language and words. So when we see a shift like this in the Bible, I think it's good to pause and remember and think about God's kingdom coming the ways that he has ordained it to come. We just pray, "Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." God's kingdom is coming and That's as empires are on the rise and as empires fall, as languages come and languages go, as currencies rise and fall, God's kingdom does not stop. Daniel and his friends find themselves in a world radically different than their own. Imagine teenage boys thrown into university in a foreign place and, and getting high level instruction for three years and then they're presented. That's what's going on already. Okay, so if he's going in before the king, they've been there. They've been in Babylon for years. At least three, because that's how long their education was. They're exiles. They had been a majority population, but now they are minorities. They had been with the party that is in power and now they find themselves in the political minority and they are servants and slaves. They had lived in a place of security and now they live in a place without any security. The question looming over us in our text today is this, what determines their future? What determines what is going to come to pass Who is actually moving? We'll see these these two competing kingdoms in this text. And the reality is we're all being invited to view our lives in this way. The already and the not yet. The already is what is going on now, but we are waiting on the not yet And that's what we see here in today's text. How can we live as an exile? Realizing the the realities of life already and still waiting for the not yet. Daniel and his friends are going to learn that this world is not enough. This world is not enough. Two, that only God is enough. And three, that the way of exile for the Christian is the way of worship. The way of exile is the way of worship. First, the first lesson we need to learn is worldly power is not enough. In the first verse, we read, In the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Daniel has been introduced and he's now telling a story around 550 BC there was a man around 30 years old the reign of king nebuchadnezzar he defeated the assyrians now this is by 30 if you're around 30 or older don't think too hard or too long about these accomplishments he had completely defeated the assyrians he had leveled nineveh he had stopped egypt uh, the, Egypt's empire was encroaching. He stopped them definitively at the Euphrates. He controls Syria, Palestine, Damascus, Tyre, Sidon, Judah. They're all on his tax rolls. They must pay tribute to him or they die under the weight of his vast power with his very skilled military. 30 he's got it all there's, there's no enemy that's coming against him at this point however we're, we're seeing something very similar to what we saw in Esther despite all his power Nebuchadnezzar is having bad dreams and so he can't sleep isn't that amazing Who is actually in charge of this world? He's got a vast empire, and yet he can't sleep at night because he's having bad dreams. Who is in control? So with all his power, it's not enough, so he summons more power. The magicians, enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, like special forces enchanters. With all of his 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 power being... Brought to bear in this situation. He can't fix his inner life. He can't fix his thoughts. He can't fix his dreams. What a great first lesson. What a great first lesson for us. With all that we can control. Can we we control our dreams? Do you perfectly control your inner life? From the very first sentence. This is setting us straight. This incredible king of Babylon has a problem out of his control. He can't do anything about it. We won't get to the dream itself until next week, but the summary of the dream is this. Your kingdom is going to fall and there's nothing you can do about it. No wonder he's unsettled and losing sleep. All the sorcerers and enchanters, all the priests of the false gods of Babylon are summoned to him to do something about it. The king says, I've had this dream, the counselors say, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. Nebuchadnezzar says, no, that's not the way this is going to work. You're going to have to tell me the dream and its interpretation. And they ask a second time. They, they're like, "Hey, this is not the way this normally works." And our, you know, in all our skill and all our trade and all our power, we—you need to tell us the dream. And he says, I, "I will tear you limb from limb, and I will burn your houses to the ground." He means business. No, I'm not telling you the dream. You're requiring that of me. Makes me want to literally rip you apart. Godlike in his demands, total control. Verse 11, this thing that the king asks is difficult, they say, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Interesting. They're doing some theology. A God who dwells with flesh. Does that point us any direction? No one can do this except a God that dwells with men. Whose God is about to reveal the mystery to the king? The God who dwells with man. The true and living God. Some lessons in insecurity. Nebuchadnezzar had all this power and all this influence. He's utterly, at this point in his life, unrivaled in battle. He's young, he's brilliant, he's wealthy. He has incredible influence. But he's utterly insecure. He's utterly insecure. His God is himself and he can't control all of himself. Where does his insecurity lead? It leads to his restlessness. Nebuchadnezzar has a restless heart. A heart set on himself will inevitably be a restless heart. Augustine famously says, "...you have made us for yourself, O Lord." And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Listen, at the center of an utterly restless heart is deep insecurity and a lack of control. Because you can't control everything, your life becomes restless. Think of Augustine's line. We're talking about the opposite of that. Augustine is exactly right. Our heart is restless until it finds its ultimate rest in God himself. That that is not what is going on with Nebuchadnezzar. Two, when his life is threatened and his dreams are out of his control, he becomes utterly hostile and grasps at anyone and anything to do something about it. He goes to his own resources. And not only does he go to his own resources, but he he threatens violence against them if they don't produce what he wants to happen. What do we do when we feel out of control? I've done terrible things in traffic. Tim will tell you, don't but don't ask her. (laughs) Terrible things. And I realize I'm, I'm utterly out of control. What do you do? Where, do? where do you look? What kind of resources? So he immediately went, he leveraged all of his resources to regain control. I think we all turn to our money, our power, our resources, our connections, our ability to control the situation. If I can outthink this, then I'll win. comes out when your anger gets exposed Nebuchadnezzar says I will tear you limb from limb and ruin I will wreck your entire house so it's not just them it's everybody in their family and literally taking their stuff apart brick by brick I will destroy you have you ever thought that has that thought ever run through your mind What inside of you, when threatened, makes you utterly lose it? Every single one of us here, young or old, have had these kinds of things happen. These threats, these hostilities that come against us. Nebuchadnezzar was being put in a powerless situation. He had no control over his dream and no control over getting an interpretation. He was utterly enraged and ready to kill a good portion of his own advisors, including Daniel. His worldly power was not enough to fix it and neither is ours. You don't have enough resources to fix whatever that is for you. God delights to put us in these situations. We will never, ever find the security we seek from within ourselves. We will never find the security we seek from external resources that we think if we can bring enough of this to bear, it'll be just fine. Nebuchadnezzar had exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the creep creature himself rather than the creator. Sinclair Ferguson says this, quote, so long as we think of life on the horizontal plane alone, we can never be delivered from the deep-seated insecurity, the profound sense of angst that haunts our lives, End quote. That's utterly true. As long as we're dealing with only this in life, you're never going to make it. You're always going to be racked with insecurity, which which comes out in these terrible ways. Rage and violence and troubled in in spirit. Restless. We all live wanting security, but the question is, where are we looking for it? The most powerful man in the world at this time could not manufacture it, and neither can you, and neither can I. That leads us to two. True security is found in God true king over the universe. The report comes back to Nebuchadnezzar that the task can't be accomplished and he orders the death of all the interpreters. It's time for them to die, including Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And at this point, we should all be sweating. Like, no, these are, these are the stars of the show. Not them too. Torn limb from limb? Please, No. A very basic picture of the book of Daniel, if you haven't read. Daniel and his God against the kings and the false gods of Babylon, the Medes and the Persians. Throughout his life, this was the case. This is early on. He could be 18 at this point. 18, 19-year-old guy. Him, Daniel, and his God. And in the other corner, all the other enchanters and their false gods. That's the basic story going on the whole time. It's these, these, these two sides going to, to battle against one another. In verse 14, we see that Daniel again acts wisely. Then Daniel rep- replied with prudence and discretion. What a great lesson for living life in exile. Again, we saw it last week. Responding to threats in this world using prudence and insight. Being wise in a culture that wants to take you out. Be wise. Be prudent. Verse 16, he asks for an audience with the king to show him the dream and the interpretation. Then, verse 17, he does something very interesting that I love in the text. He goes to see his friends. The situation is incredibly scary. Not only are they in exile, now their lives are on the line before the king. The situation is impossible. Nobody can answer the question. Imagine the fear and helplessness. You can't fix it. How many times have you been left helpless, scared, isolated, maybe feared? Maybe stuck in depression, physical ailments that won't go away. We just saw for Nebuchadnezzar that this, this response evoked fear and violence. What is it for you? Daniel does something here. He, one, he knows he's not alone. He goes to tell his friends he remembers a key reality in his life, a, a very pointed reality is this, you, child of God, especially you in a church, you're not alone. In your insecurity, in your lack, have you gone to others to share? Have you told them what's going on in your life? He goes to his friends In verse 18, what does Daniel do? He told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. He doesn't just go to them. He he goes to them and says, pray with me. Pray. What an incredible lesson. How are we to live life in exile? One, child of God. You are not alone. You have been given a church body, you have been given friends and family to ask others to pray with you. Do you dismiss that in your daily reality of things that you actually think will work? Do you dismiss prayer as one of those things? How often do you pray with a friend? You should try every single time. You have a deep conversation with a friend and someone tells you something that's in their soul, you should pray with them. It's going to be awkward at first. Can I pray really quick? That's going to feel awkward. Do it anyway. The only resource that Daniel and his friends have is prayer. They cry out to God. They implore Him for answers. The prayer life of believers is often forged in distress it's when things don't go well that we're forced to pray no matter how well we're put together or how well we think we're put together we're actually all desperate and here's here's the reality we think that a situation like this where the wheels have flown off our life that's when we need to pray but the reality is we're born in sin We're born in hostility to our Maker. We're all desperate. We've fallen in sin away from a right relationship with God, whether we admit it or not. Here's what I'm saying. Whether you know that you're desperate today and acknowledge it or not, you are. That's what Scripture says. You are in a desperate situation. Even before you had a thought or life or breath, God has given an answer already. He has sent His Son to answer that desperation, that most basic desperation that you have because you were born desperate, born in sin and hostility against God. He, Jesus, came to live the life that you fail to live. Every time you break the law of God, whether you acknowledge it or not, you're falling short of His perfect standard. And He sent Christ To live in your place. And not only does he live in your place. He has died and taken the curse that you deserved. And he rose in glorious resurrection. Conquering death, hell and the grave. See whether you realize it or not. You you actually are desperate. You might have a lot of resources that you can grab hold to doesn't matter. You're still desperate. Prayer forces us to acknowledge our need before God to yeah, show me somebody who, who doesn't pray, and I'll show you someone who doesn't think about their lives realistically. They don't know they're desperate. Paul Miller, in his book about prayer, says this, quote, in the broader culture and in our churches, we prize intellect, competency, and wealth because we can do life without God. Prayer seems nice, but unnecessary. Money can do, listen to this money can do what prayer does, and it does it quicker and less time consuming. Our trust in ourselves and our talents makes us structurally independent from God. End quote. He's dead on. Why pray for a need if my money will get it done quicker? Daniel and his friends have not bought into this lie. In exile, when you realize that you're in exile, all you can do is live in the already and not yet. Pray. Hey friends, pray. Pray for me. Pray that God will answer this. They have to look outside of themselves to resources that only come from God. If we belong body and soul to God then why don't we cry out to him more? Why don't we depend on him more? We are not our own. This world is not enough. We saw that with Nebuchadnezzar. All his resources being brought to bear on his nightmares and they can't do anything about it. Only God is enough. Only prayer. Lastly, the way of security for the exiled Christian is the way of worship. God makes the thing known to Daniel, verse 19. 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision in the night. We'll look at that vision next week. We've already seen that this is a gift from God. Last week, we saw that Daniel was given by God wisdom in the area of dreams. This is his grace. God gives, and he gives, and he gives to his people in exile notice what Daniel does. The first thing he does is he doesn't immediately run to Nebuchadnezzar. He turns to the true king. Before he goes and gives his report, he worships. Listen, everybody's still under a threat of death. And is stopping everything to worship God. It's truly remarkable when you see it as worship. This, today, corporate worship, Sunday is a great day for remembering what God has done. However, what does that look like in your life day in and day out? What does this look like for you on a Thursday morning when you're like, man, I can't wait to be done with this week? Do you stop to worship the Lord? When when you see Him... Tangibly see him answer prayer in your life, do you stop and give him praise? Do you thank him? Worship flows naturally from the reality that the God of heaven is the one who provides. What is the content of Daniel's worship? Verse Look at how big he views God. Verse 20, the God of heaven is wiser than all the other counselors on the earth. No one else uh, can do dreams and visions like this true and living God. Next, God governs all of history. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. I think that's brilliant. He's praising God, saying this Nebuchadnezzar, he's just a puppet. God raises them up and he he sets them down. Listen, is, is your life and mind consumed with political realities? He sets up kings and he, and he takes them out. Yes, we live in a d- democracy. Vote. But to have your life consumed with that? Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Who is really in control? What an answer to an insecure heart. God, you set kings up and you take them out. Verse 22, God is the one who knows the secrets and nothing can be hidden from him. Lastly, Daniel's worship is specific. Verse 23 again. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you You have given me wisdom and insight and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel turns his life to worship God because God has answered his prayer. To summarize these powers that have always seemed so big, To you and me are nothing to God. He can make the most powerful king have a sleepless night. What are the things that you put so much stock in in your life? Those areas that are giving you anxiety and insecurity even today. When our security is threatened, we act rashly we constantly find ourselves living unsettled lives that we try to control everything in our life using resources to bring to bear rather than turning to God and asking for his help this whole chapter is really about these two kingdoms one worldly with false gods and one with the true and living God and we'll end with this Jesus tells a story, he gives a parable about these things, and he he sees these two things like living in one way, he he envisions it as a house. And life with God, the the true and living God, He, he, he images these for us in this way. Matthew 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine about his kingdom... He's talking about all of his preaching up till this point, and puts them into practice like a wise man who built, built his house on a rock. The rain comes down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. because it had its foundation on the rock that is Christ. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain comes down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. There really are only two options. The rock is Christ, and every other option is sinking sand. What foundation is your life on? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. May we live life in exile, completely dependent on you. Lord, forgive us when we live lives motivated by insecurity and seek to bring our resources to bear to fix problems out of our control. Lord, these these situations that we find ourselves in, would you help us be needy people and in that need, depend on you. Make us a prayerful people. Lord, all these things shape us by your gospel. May we find our rest in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.